1: Good afternoon and welcome. Omar Khadr is a free man now that a judge has removed the last restrictions on his movement. He's been out on bail for the last three years pending an appeal of his conviction in the U.S. for killing an American medic when he was fighting with Al Qaeda in Pakistan As a teenager, there were some restrictions on his freedom. He couldn't get a passport. He wasn't allowed to have unsupervised conversations with his notorious jihadi sister Zainab and he wasn't allowed to travel to Saudi Arabia. He was able to marry and to invest some of the $10.5 million he received from the Liberal government in a shopping mall. Now all restrictions have been removed after a judge ruled yesterday that his time has been served. So what do you think? Is this Justice being done is it a travesty is it a danger how do you feel about it the numbers to call 4163600740 toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now, we are going to Ross McLean, security and terrorism expert, and Scott Newark, who is a former prosecutor and an adjunct professor in the School of Criminology at Simon Fraser University. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good day, Libby. Okay, Ross. Let's start with you. What's your reaction to this? Well, my
2: reaction to this is I'm seeing I'm seeing a thread of what's going on with our justice system uh, these days in general that I'm not very thrilled with on the macro level, uh, Libby. Uh, we're seeing the, the this uh, Qadar case, I believe, has has not gone according to the rule of law since the word go. And we've continued to see uh, that the PMO was very interested in this case and had a lot to say about it, uh, which in retrospect of all the things going on today with the PMO's office being involved with the justice system in cases, I think is something for us to be concerned about in general. That's my in general thoughts.
1: What, what involvement has the PMO had with this? I haven't heard that.
2: With what Justin Trudeau has done with the Omar Khadr case over the period well, do you, of time? You
1: mean the payout?
2: Uh, the payout, the, the lack of uh, going to court on it, the uh, the apologizing for it, the Justice uh, uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould helped to make the apology for it and do the payout on it. They also appointed as a, as a federal justice the activist lawyer for Omar Khadr to put him there. So there, there's a lot going on in, in light of everything else that's going on these days. And so for the judge, I, I would just say this in general, and I'm just saying this is an in-general feeling that I'm having. Having Libby? We're seeing the comments that were made about another Supreme Court judge nominee the other day who was disparaged uh, from coming out of talking points, we believe, from the PMO's office. So if you're a judge today making a decision on politically charged cases, I think
3: you have to watch your P's and Q's.
1: Scott Newark, what do you think of what Ross just had to say?
3: I don't agree. Um, the uh, the one thing about this uh, is that the uh, and especially since Carter was transferred back to Canada, which by the way people tend to forget, only happened because the former Harper government signaled that it would give quotation marks favorable consideration to allow him to be transferred back to Canada under the international transfer of offenders act and since he has been back here in 2012 he has actually uh followed what the existing rules and procedures and uh legal system requirements are from where he was going to serve his sentence um, to the decision that he uh, decided that he was going to file this appeal and therefore sought bail you know seeking the uh, variation on the bail conditions don't don't get me wrong uh this is uh i think uh, i agree with Ross, with respect to the uh, nothing short of disgraceful conduct by the current federal government in giving them that secret $10.5 million payoff instead of going to court to fight it. Um, But there has relatively been a process that has been followed here. This latest case, however, the most important thing in my mind uh, that people are aware of is that Carter was only in this situation... Because he and his lawyers created it. He was eligible for parole. I wrote about it at the time, um, at the point where instead of applying for parole with conditions, which would have been virtually identical to the bail conditions he was on, they launched this appeal in the United States uh, and then a- asked for bail. And you'll see a report in the media, oh, he was granted bail. They asked for bail. You have to ask for it to actually get it. And I think that was done as a you know public relations effort because it made him look, oh, gee whiz, the victim, you know, once again, and helped facilitate the $10.5 million payoff. So uh, although I think, you know, the I, I don't really have a problem with the outcome, because he would have been finished his sentence last October, um, I think it's, it is important to note that this case only arose because of the actions of Cotter and his lawyers, and I think it would have been nice if the judge had said, okay, I'm going to give you this order, but, you know, you've been to court half a dozen times now on all of this, so I'm also going to award costs against you and your lawyers in the amount of, oh, let's see, how about $10.5 million?
1: That sounds like a a great idea, but I guess the thing is that his sentence would have expired if he had served it. And yes, he had some restrictions, like he can't talk to his jihadi sister, but he can get married and buy shopping malls with taxpayers' money. That's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly jail time.
3: No, but, but, you know, being on parole... Uh, The conditions actually were probably uh, quite similar as to what they would have been. And understandably, if you're going to challenge the conviction on an appeal, which is the basis of your serving the sentence, of course the clock stops running. All that happened here is that the Superior Court Justice used an obscure section, Section 94 of the Youth Criminal Justice Act, that arguably gives the court the right to review the sentence and make a decision that, in fact, it was appropriate that... Uh, it'd be determined that he had served the full sentence. But people should just not lose sight of the fact that, once again, and as I put it, I did a, uh, an interview about this yesterday. I said that when I first heard about the case, I think like a lot of Canadians, I was reminded of that song from Toby Keith, How Can I Miss You When You Never Go Away?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there, there, there are actually people that we've often talked to about this story. They say, you know what, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah. It's sort of too, uh, too sickening. Ross?
2: Yeah, well, the other part that I think that Scott touches on there, which I think is a real concern, once again, in the macro, is what came in at one point was a truth in sentencing law. So that when people got a certain sentence, they were going to serve the sentence, rather than having judges Coming up with, as, as Scott had mentioned in this case, obscure ways to find reasons to reduce and remove sentences that were given by courts before. And we've seen this with, with judges who actively, uh, certainly in Ontario, who decided to turn around once the truth and sentencing laws came in and find other ways to reduce, uh, uh, uh sentences for people saying, and they would circulate amongst themselves. Uh, the reasons they'd say. we say, oh, the jails are a little bit overcrowded, so we'll say that's cruel and unusual, so we'll give them more credit for the time served. And, you know, I also look at the effect of what this will have on our relations with the U.S. when we took Qatar in. I doubt very much they thought that we were going to take a sentence, convert it from uh, an adult sentence for having murdered one of their citizens to making it into a youth criminal justice case, reducing him to being a child being dealt with under an act that in no way was meant to deal with war crimes. In no way was it meant to deal with that and then have this result come out as well as the payout uh, not not to mention being secret but being uh, hidden from the uh the victims who were trying to sue back for part of that money being unable to sue for it so there, there's a lot wrong with this i think that goes against uh, the rule of law and what we expect to see is justice particularly with truth and sentencing
1: yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the. I think it probably is fair to assume that the Liberal government uh, was influenced by people who say, "Oh, poor Omar Carter, he was a child soldier, he was coerced." Um, uh, Scott, uh, Scott, is that how you see it?
3: Um, I think there is actually, and this may surprise <clears throat> people to hear me say this, but I think there is actually some legitimacy. To that, not about him being a child soldier, he did not meet the definition. But what I think we frequently, uh, lose sight of is the fact that, uh, he was literally inculcated into this Islamist death cult by his parents. Okay? We knew what they were up to, and yet we sat and did nothing. Okay, and so yes, he ended up where he was and doing what he was, but I think one of the biggest lessons we need to learn from this entire case, and especially now as you see the circumstances of, you know, uh, Canadian uh jihadis abroad who want to come home and have kids, we need to pay attention that the welfare of these children is actually protected so they can't be inculcated into these kind of extremist uh, beliefs. As for the uh, for the Americans, I actually was uh Quite involved in the case uh, after the uh, release of the interviews and the, if you remember, the videotapes of it, I did multiple uh, interviews and back and forth. I got to be quite good friends with his U.S. Navy lawyer, uh, and um, the Americans first of all had to consent. Under the International Transfer Offenders Act to allow him to be transferred here. There's no question it worked out as part of the plea bargain, and that was, in fact, the case. I remember talking to his lawyer at one point because they were arguing about all these things, and I said, you know what? If you remember, there was actually a video of Cotter making and planting roadside bombs that ran on 60 Minutes. Okay, and I said, uh, he's going to be convicted. Right. And the penalty for that particular offense was also life imprisonment. So I said, cut the best deal you can. Here's something that you could actually do. It was, I notified him about the act and you can arrange for this transfer uh, to occur to the point that, that, that Ross was making about the, uh, the justice system and the truth in sentencing. He's speaking about this, frankly, nonsense that we call pretrial custody credit. Whereas, you, as you mentioned, Ross, started in Ontario where the judges went, oh, you know, you're in remand and you don't get the rehabilitated facilities that are not as nice as they should be. And they expected the government to make changes. And when they didn't do it, they started abusing a section of the criminal code, section 719, subsection 3, and saying, well, we're going to give you extra credit. Okay, and then it became double credit. And then triple credit, in some cases even quadruple credit. Okay, and 99% of the people who were denied bail in this country are denied bail because of their past record. So think about it for a second. We were actually rewarding repeat offenders. That's not something that's applicable in Catter's case. He was lawfully, under our laws, pre-existing him, he was lawfully entitled to apply for parole at the time that it was. I think still that the... uh, the thing that, that at the time made me shake my head was that instead of applying for parole, they decided to pursue this, you know, we're going to challenge the conviction. Even though, when he pled guilty, okay, and don't forget, he pled guilty, he signed an affidavit confirming that he had done what he was pleading guilty to and that he was under no pressure to enter the guilty pleas.
1: Well, he changed his mind on that, Yeah, well, he's changed it he? a few times, hasn't he? I did it,
3: I didn't do it, I can't remember, oh, I'm not sure... Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, Scott, I'm intrigued by your idea, you know, of of levying court costs against him. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't think about it because every time this comes up, this is such a black mark on this government. People are incensed by that payout.
3: Yeah, and rightfully so in my opinion. Uh, as opposed to, uh, I remember when uh, we were having the discussions back in uh, 2010, 2011, 12, uh, the, the line that uh, we had used was not one nickel. And I'll tell you something I've, I've reviewed all of the notes of the Canadian officials that interviewed Cotter. Cotter was a low level foot soldier in a high level. Uh, Al Qaeda family. Uh, we, our, our intelligence people would have been negligent had they gone not gone down to interview him. And I can tell you that they got valuable information with respect to how the Cotter family was raising money to support uh, uh, Al Qaeda and other Islamist groups. Okay. They and in fact, one one of the uh, the people who was first interviewing him, they actually pointed out to the Americans that he had a, a shoulder injury to make sure that he got it fixed. Okay. I think it was a complete betrayal of our frontline officials when the uh, liberal government just caved. And I think it was. I think Ross has uh, got to this point as well, too, is that they just decided that, it, you know, from their perspective as a, a public relations uh, exercise, they, wanted to, they didn't want to be the tough guys or the nasty guys. They wanted to be, you know, happy sunshine and poor Omar Cotter. And so they betrayed Canadians by cutting a closed-door deal.
1: Well, yeah, they, they said that uh, if it had gone to court, they would have lost and had to pay more money. But I think that is Hello. debatable. And sometimes you really should go to court.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, But I'll tell you something else. Right from the get-go, it has been uh, part of the discussion that this is how Cotter's lawyers got paid. It's called contingency fees, Right. You get a percentage of what the ultimate settlement is, like thirty. It can be different. Provinces have different rates for it. Okay, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Oh, and guess what? Um, He was the uh, the lawyer that uh, Ross referred to was asked a question by uh, Rosemary Barton on CBC, uh, and uh, he looked like he was going to he just uh, defecated himself. And she said, "You know, is it true that you got a cut?" And he blinked about four times and he said, oh, well, I can't comment on that because of solicitor-client privilege. Oh, right. So how about it, Omar? How about waiving that privilege so Canadians can know the truth?
1: Well, of course his lawyers are going to get paid. I think actually people are probably more comfortable with the lawyers getting the money than with him getting the money. Um Ross before when we are going to get to the phone's callers hang on uh Ross I mean what kind is, is he going to be do you think under some kind of surveillance uh, uh I mean you know if he starts running around to Saudi Arabia uh going to Georgia to talk to his sister uh or is he just roaming around freely uh, while we wait to see uh what he's up to if anything
2: well, maybe he's off to Ottawa now to go visit his former brother-in-law, Joshua Boyle, who's up yeah. on charges, being out over on with trial charges. now. Yeah, he came back here. Uh, you know, gets a gets a, a meeting with with the PM and pictures taken with him, and all of the things that are going on there. Look, I, I have great concerns in the macro that we have social justice warrior politicians, who are deciding to go into the justice system as social justice warriors. Uh, look what uh, look what happened with the Bushi trial, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know, Scott, uh, your opinion on this. But after that jury trial there, both the PM and JWR went out and basically attacked the jury system for what they were doing uh, for the, for the uh, non-conviction in that case. And what I'm seeing is if you're a judge and you're going to make a decision these days, your career is going to be limited uh based on based on what is being said and what is going on in the courts right now this is the biggest concern that i have you know when i was a cop and if you've uh, you've heard me talk before uh, Libby, I always say the worst thing you can have as a cop is when politics get into policing. The worst thing you can have in the criminal justice system is when politics work their way into the criminal justice system. And so we're looking at these favors being done behind the scenes for Qatar with the payment. We're hearing these, these allegations about the SNC getting a, getting a, a justice uh, thing put into the back of a, of a finance bill to help someone out. We're getting the, the, the attorney general kicked out of her job and shortly after the attorney general was kicked out of her job one of the principals in the snc uh, scam who was up on bribing someone for 10 million dollars to change their testimony his charges got dropped after jwr was taken out we're not seeing much press on that so there's a lot going on i think that we need to be concerned about just because of the perception and i think scott whether you agree with me on this or not, the perception uh, is very, very important. The public sees that there's no political interference in these court cases. Okay,
1: you know, I'm I, just I, going I, to uh, take a couple of calls. Uh, let's start with Tony and Keswick. Hi, Tony.
2: Hello there. This guy just won't go away. Will he? Um, it just sickens me that our government, basically this guy has ties, Comair, uh, cardi whatever everything, ties to his family, right, to, to Al-Qaeda. And basically our government probably helping him fund Al-Qaeda, with that $10 million that we gave out. But only in Canada can you murder somebody, go to jail for a bit, and then... Come out a millionaire. I mean, I, that's beautiful. I mean, that's uh, I and mean, maybe a lot more. That'll help tourism, I think, or help people uh, want to come over here a little more, and thinking we can go to Canada kill somebody and we get ten million dollars.
1: Well, it's, it's, well, we 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 can't, you know, we can't sort of make statements. He he says he's reformed, but how that uh, happened my, would be a mystery yeah. to me. Tony, thanks for your call. Tony, Let's go. Can I to just add sit.
3: that the, he, you make a very good point because part of the reason why we knew what the Cotter family was was that the father was taken into custody in the 90s in Pakistan, and then Prime Minister Jean Chrétien went over and visited and helped arrange for him to get released. And his daughter, Zainab, at that point, she was uh, uh, engaged to a, a guy who was a... Senior Al Qaeda operative, uh, the uh, number two to the current leader of Al Qaeda. You know, so, the, I mean, that, that's the thing that I found. And when I worked at, I was the executive officer of the Canadian Police Association in the 90s. I was aware of this before 9 11. I was aware of, you know, these kinds of activities and the nature of the threat, and we did nothing.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, and she changes husbands a lot. Let's uh, hear from Sydney in Scarborough. Hi, Sydney.
4: Hi, Libby, and hi, Ross McLeod, is it? Or McLean. McLean? Yep. He's there too. Um, This young man that's on, I think his name is Scott? Yes. Yes? Well, he just said everything that I wanted to say, and a lot of people want to say. Our justice system needs to be cleaned up so bad. It's so corrupt. And they're keeping it on our young prime minister about this real, I don't know, real estate or retail or whatever it is, and just raking him over the coals when really. There should be other people raked over the coals. Like all the who, people like that who? Carter that money that he's outspending when people can't even afford to buy new shoes for their kids. Well,
1: it's our prime minister's government that gave him the money.
4: Yeah, so he's getting the whole blame for it. So I'd like to hear some of the other people that were involved in that. So they should give out some more names of some of these lawyers. Over 10 million to a murderer, and yet our young men, okay, so he may have been coerced into doing things. A lot of young people in Canada are coerced into doing things, and they end up in jail for life. When they get out, they can never get a life again. And then this guy from, isn't even Canadian, is awarded millions of dollars. Like, how corrupt is that? And when is something going to be done about it?
1: Thanks, Sydney. I, I just don't know why you're giving the Prime Minister a pass on this when his government, under his oh, direction. I haven't given him anything. I'm just
4: saying they're making so much of dragging this in the courts and in the news. It's been going on and on and on, and nothing seems to get solved when they can give away uh, over $10
3: million from a criminal from another country. Okay, a murderer.
1: Exactly. Thank you. Let's and, and go to... By the
3: way, to make the point, Omar Khadr is a Canadian. Yes. He was born here. The family did that deliberately. <laughs> they always made sure they came back so that they had their kids born here. They're known as anchor babies. Okay, but that's part of what, what I think is really important to appreciate, that because they were Canadian, those kids, they deserve better protection than what we gave. And that uh, still is a, an issue today as we're dealing with the continuing Islamist threat. And that we, just because they are Canadians, in fact, they deserve that better protection.
1: Okay, let us hear from Esco here in Toronto. Hello, Esco.
5: Wow, it sounds like you're saying, that, if I'm not mistaken, that this Carter gentleman deserves uh, better protection because he's born here. That's almost like um, in the in the gospel, these two brothers, one was envious of the other, I think it was Abel and Cain. Well, just because or Malcolm X and uh, the, uh, the guys that were jealous of him that killed him... Um, uh, Farrakhan and uh, con artists and whoever else, just um, yes, because he's born here doesn't mean that he's a good person. In fact, of course not. Someone's, someone's jealous of you, they look like you. Of, from of your course not, but
1: uh, Canadian citizens, uh, you know, legally we're entitled to certain, we have certain rights that people in other parts of the world don't have.
5: I can tell you I'm born and raised here, and I had to leave my own country where I'm born and raised because I was treated so poorly. And it makes me sick to see the way people are penalized for jumping on a streetcar that they can't afford to ride, for instance, if they truly can, which I love most of them can. And this guy, him and his family sneak in and out of the country. They come back and forth, pregnant for a living. They, some people come here, for, especially from that culture, to make babies, or what you call anchor babies, so they can freeload as economical refugees and then have us paying for their lawyer, their apartment, they want a jackpot. All their daycare centers, seven kids, 1000 bucks for daycare per month, that's 7000 bucks. That's a drain and a strain on the system. So if someone comes here, and I know they're a, a Muslim or Islamic, whatever, that to me is a risk. If I go into a corner store, they call the police and say, why? Did I commit a crime? Did I steal the cop? goes, oh, you don't have to steal. They just don't like you. Okay, so aren't you supporting... So then I said to the police officer, you're supporting discrimination because all they can see is my skin color, height, and my weight. They know nothing else about me. I've stolen nothing. And you're supporting systemic racism. But if I don't appreciate people who are likely, proven to be likely, to be terrorists, and they're not vetted, as John Tory found out, and there's no room for them, as George, John Tory now admits, as they're in our hotel. At okay, Esco,
1: Asco." Thanks for your call. Um, we can't tar all people with the same brush, but uh I, you, I think uh, we're getting a flavor and we have a um, lot more calls. We're starting to run out of time that people are still really angry about this. Ross McLean, where does this go from here?
2: Well... I have to say one thing. I like the fact that we are seeing many members—not a lot, but many members—of the, uh, the justice world, if you will, coming forward and speaking about a lot of the problems that we're having here. And it's pretty hard to speak up when you know you have to go in front of uh, judges and go places and talk and do about things here. But I think there's—I think there's some real questions that need to be looked at here, and uh, this what appears to be political interference uh, at, the, at the highest levels uh, is, is just, I don't know how we cannot deal with it. You know, I, I, I fully expect that the RCMP are doing their investigation. They're just not announcing it. I don't know how they can't after having written credible complaints, uh, from the leader of the opposition and former attorney generals that they need to be looking at it. But this is something that needs to be sorted out. We've got, uh, uh, the Mark Norman trial going on. Are we going to see somebody subpoena somebody into the Joshua Boyle, uh, trial are we going to see some senior people brought in it's there's just some real questions here about what's going on and this uh this prime minister's office willingness to get involved and comment on 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 criminal trials is is just uh, it's unheard of we just had uh what was it uh, some mp mpp spoke about the the murder trial that's going on right for manslaughter trial up in ottawa yeah where he spoke out, and that's the one you are not allowed to do that as a politician. You're I know it's to that.
1: it's it's quite something. Uh, let's hear from William in Toronto. You always also want to talk about the justice system. Hello. Yes, uh, uh, I think uh, the justice system is more
5: to blame than Mr. Carter, um, and uh, it, it's just
2: so broken. And judges should not be allowed to sit uh, lifelong. That they should be maybe limited for 10 years because there's just too much judge made law being uh, thrown about here. And this is what happened uh... with the Carter case. And, and there's case law that says so, uh, R versus Antic and R versus MGD says, uh, here's what the court says over here, what the rules say, and here's what the court did. And he did not follow the rules. So, too much. Um, Uh, Judge-made law, and uh, the justice system is broken, and this is why uh, Carter got away with what he got away with.
1: Okay, William, thanks for that. I
3: can just uh, respond to that, I I actually think, sir, that uh, you touched on an important point about uh, judicial activism. Um, uh, I like to refer to them as the Juristocracy, and I think enhanced accountability, independence and accountability should not be irreconcilable concepts. I think if we, uh, frankly, uh, made it a law, I called it the Public's Right to Know the Truth Act, reporting about crime statistics so that you know the people could know what was actually happening. The thing I, I want to make the point, though, to be clear about the Cotter case, uh... the the political interference that uh, that ross referred to to me that political interference uh, occurred in the uh... behind closed-door settlement with uh, nobody uh, seeing the truth in what has happened uh, uh, in his release here, they have they, they have literally followed the pr- existing legal process, and that's something that I think they des- deserves to be recognized because not all of the uh, the people like uh, him, uh, you know, they tend to be rather narcissistic. Do I, as I say, I'm relatively okay with the outcome just because of the fact that he would have been released at this point, and we do have legal tools, by the way called terrorism peace bonds, if the police are of the view that they think that he may commit another terrorism offense, I don't think the evidentiary standard is going to be there. But um, at least on this part of it, our rule of law has happened. But at the core of it, that's what what bothers me the most about the SNC-Lavalin case or what Ross was talking about, the pretrial credits. Uh, I think those kinds of things erode public confidence in our justice system, and having that confidence is a key component.
1: Uh, Ross, uh, we've got to wrap things up. Is this thing going to go away now that, uh, the legal part of it is over? Uh,
2: well, no, I don't believe so. I, I think, and this is just, uh, my, call this my speculation and my spidey senses. I think we'll hear more about Omar Khadr and his, uh, $10 million, uh, where it went, uh, his sister and the Boyle trial. I think, uh, more will end up coming out. I don't think that some people, once they've got, uh uh, a culture or a mindset to work and live a certain way. Many of them can't resist going back to it. We'll have to see on that, though. That's just yeah, and I my. I think Cotter will,
3: uh, you know, potentially still be in the news. Is the reason why they move so expeditiously on this? Uh, because contrary to what Ross said that he thought he might come to Ottawa, I think maybe instead what he'll do is he'll uh, uh, get registered and run as a Liberal candidate in the next federal election.
1: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it kidding. wouldn't. It would not surprise me. Uh, So uh, thank you so much to Scott Newark and Ross McClain. And people, if we couldn't get to your call, remember, Free For All Friday is coming up. And we couldn't even get to this whole other case involving uh, the woman who harbored Edward Snowden. Maybe we'll deal with that tomorrow. Uh, Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.